Life can be stressful, even under normal circumstances. 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes. That's Headspace. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research and can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Go to headspace.com slash C-suite for a free one-month trial. Headspace.com slash C-suite. This week, because of the holiday season, we're going to be doing a bonus episode of the Quad Pod in place of Robert's show. Uh, just introduce some of you to the uh, to the show. It's uh, me. Uh, my name is Derek Haru. I work for the Rich Dad Company. Uh, I help produce Robert's show. And uh, basically, the Quad Pod is my show in which I talk to guests from different parts of entrepreneurship, sales world, uh, design, self-improvement, that kind of thing. And we just kind of like talk about our different philosophies and, and different strategies on, you know, kind of taking over the world in our own different ways. Um, so uh, this week, we're going to be talking to Jillian Squire, who uh, helps run Phoenix Comic Con. And that's probably out of the purview of some of our, our uh, typical listeners. But uh, Phoenix Comic Con has nearly 100,000 people attend every single year, and it's only growing every single year. So it's actually a great model for hosting large events, uh, monetizing a large audience, using your audience to evangelize your product, all that kind of stuff. It's a really interesting interview, uh, and we hope you guys enjoy it. So uh, please enjoy this bonus episode of The Quad Pod. Howdy, E's, S's, B's, and I's. Welcome to the Quad Pod, the podcast where successful personalities from the world of business, entrepreneurship, money, sales, and self-improvement are interviewed by a mid-level employee. Howdy, Quadzillas. Uh, this week, we've got Jillian Squire from Phoenix Comic Con. She's going to talk to us about the task of managing 75,000 attendees, and that was just last year, for a show that gets bigger exponentially every single year. We're also going to talk about leveraging enthusiastic volunteers, negotiating with actors, vendors, and the city of Phoenix, the nonstop planning of an event this size, something that takes over literally all of downtown Phoenix, uh, setting up appearances literally years in advance. I know I'm using literally a lot, but this is a big event. Uh, managing growth versus reducing user experience and maintaining reliability with vendors. I uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. This was an absolute delight for me. Lots of cool stories. There's lots of information. So uh, sit back and enjoy. I'm just going to set levels here for a little bit. And... Well, I have a staff meeting tomorrow. So um, still 90% of our staff is volunteers. Mm -hmm. So I have a meeting with them tomorrow, which will take probably my entire day. And then I'll need a nap because <laughs> it's very draining. And then Sunday... I think I'll be working on a quilt. Oh, really? Yeah. I have all these geeky t-shirts that are kind of worn out mm -hmm. and I'm trying to turn them into a quilt so okay. that I don't waste them because they're hard <laughs> to find where they used to be hard to find. Okay. So you're going to cut the emblem out and then use that? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And then frame it in like old jeans. Mm -hmm. So it's jeans and t-shirts. Right on. Very cool. Yeah. Um, uh, are you going to do a... Uh, uh, what do they call it? When you're done, is you going to do a stitch over or anything? Probably a tie. Okay. So we talked about getting some buttons or some just different 
decal kind of things and tying them onto it. Okay. Hold it together. So, yeah. Very cool. Um, cool. Well, uh, thank you for, for coming out and being on the show today. I appreciate it. It's awesome. I'm excited. Cool. Uh, so, uh, howdy quadzillas. Uh, it's Derek. Um, we're out of the studio today cause there's some maintenance being done on our nice fancy studio. And, uh, today we are talking with, uh, Jillian. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us what you do? Love to. I am Jillian Squires and I'm the director of marketing for Square Egg Entertainment, which is a company that puts on Phoenix Comic-Con and Phoenix Comic-Con Fan Fest. Okay. Very cool. And, um, uh, for those who aren't 100% familiar, because most of our audience is uh, uh, entrepreneurs and like salespeople, uh, uh, Phoenix Comic Con is the, as it sounds, the Phoenix uh, Comic Convention. Uh, people, you'll, you'll hear people say Comic Con, and they typically think San Diego. Well, Phoenix is growing pretty close, like not necessarily to rival San Diego yet, but like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger every year. Um, I mean, there was a time when comic conventions were just about comics or like there were, there were, there was comic conventions that were just about comics. There were Star Trek conventions that were just about Star Trek. And now comic conventions in general have become just a media, like it's, it's a media and branding opportunity for even like not just the niche markets, but like really large companies. And that's why we wanted to have you on partly to talk about branding and how the culture has grown, but also running an event of that size because <laughs> last year was what 75,000 in attendance. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It takes down all, it takes, it takes over all of Phoenix downtown for like three solid days. Yeah. We have the, the convention center, the North and West building for those familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's four floors in both those buildings. And then there are three host hotels and seven other hotels that our attendees book into. Very cool. Uh, and you guys like the, the first year, it technically started was what two thousand two. Yes, that's the, going way back to when it was called the Cactus Convention. Cactus Convention, and it was a six-hour show, and there was like two hundred people there. Yeah, so gro- <laughs> so exponential growth since yes. then to seventy-five thousand to the point where like you have to involve the city of Phoenix and the transit system and police officers and all, like, and that's the stuff that I wanted to to talk to you about is the ins and outs of running an event of that size, because we have people that listen to our show that like they run, uh, you know, lecture circuits or they run, they, they hold seminars and stuff like that. And they might be used to going to an event that has 3000 people, 75,000 human beings all in the same place is an like an insurmountable task. Like most people can't even wrap their head around. Like, even if I could get, money out of that many people for ticket sales. And I know that's not the crux of like what (laughs) Comic-Con is for, but there is that component to it. Um, uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you, what you do for Phoenix Comic-Con and how that ties into the, uh, the, the size of the convention that it is now? So I'm responsible for a lot of those partnerships that we do with uh, other organizations. So a really good example is I'm talking to Uber right now about setting up discounts for our attendees. You know, we're negotiating a place for them to have uh, drop off and pick up. And so I do a lot of those kind of high level discussions mm-hmm. as well as the simple things like social media. Um, I have a team of about 300 people um, that are all volunteers. <laughs> Thank goodness for volunteers. Yeah. Um, and we do social media. We have a street team. 
we have a staff of 40 photographers just to catch the event, right? Just catch pictures. Um, we have an entire art team, which is very important. That's probably one of the biggest things that caused our rise is that we do our own art. Okay. Um, so I'm in charge of all the art that's done. And then, you know, negotiating some of those promotions with the actors and the vendors and how do they want to be seen on our website and on our social media. So it's a lot of conversations is what I spend most of my time doing. Okay. And uh, so we've already established uh, that the show keeps growing every year. Um, when does planning for like, like it's 2015 now, 2015 convention uh, happened a few months, what, four months ago? End of May. Yeah. yeah. Um, when does planning for 2016 begin? It already started. Okay. Um, you know, at the convention center, we have contracts out to 2020. I mean, that kind of space planning has already happened and we'll continue. We re renegotiate the contract every year just to make sure we have the space we need for the next year. Um, when we talk to a guest, we say, okay, can you come to 15? No. Okay. Can you come to 16? No. Can you come to 17? So we never really stop planning for any of it. Um, it's just this continuous process of, okay, we can't do this this year. Can we do it this year? And it's just, it's a year round job at this point. <laughs> it just never stops because you're, you're saying you're planning, you're planning out five years in advance Yep. just because it's going to require that. Um, that was one of the questions I wanted to get into. You guys, you guys hit 75,000 attendees this year. Are you getting to where the, the question, the same question that comes up with San Diego Comic-Con is the venue going to be able to accommodate the size that you guys are getting to? Cause people have asked that about San Diego for a long time, which is, um, San Diego is a big place. It's not big enough for how many people are showing up for Comic-Con anymore. Yeah. And, and that's a real struggle for them. And, and we, we've had some communication with them that that's something they work with every year. But, um, I would say that we would sell out before we would move. We're pretty, pretty dedicated to Phoenix. Okay. It is on our name. Oh, I'm not suggesting, <laughs> I'm not even suggesting you go to a different city. I'm only suggesting like, is the convention center enough for you guys? Or is it going to be where like, you're just going to have to like start pushing out into, cause you already push out into the surrounding hotels yeah. and across the street. But like, it, is that still going to be enough for you guys? <sighs> This is a really big debate and we have it. I mean, every six months we're talking about this. There's a point when you get too spread out to operate in an efficient way. And one of our most important goals is to have an amazing experience for everyone. So if we push out too far, are we able to control that experience anymore? And we kind of feel that no, maybe it's better to set the size that we can manage in an effective way and have an awesome experience for people and cap the attendance so that if that's how many people fit in that space, that's what we do. Um, because we really, I don't want to speak ill of San Diego. And the, I know. I know what you, <laughs> let, let me let me let me put out my own opinion, <clears throat> and you can agree or not agree with it. Uh, San San Diego is an amazing event to go to. It is. It is like running a marathon. It is. And people think that's a joke. And uh, go to San Diego Comic Con for the entire weekend. Don't go for a day. Go for the entire weekend. If you do nothing but walk the floor, if you don't try to stand in line for four hours to get into Hall H, if you don't try to go to the panels, if you don't try to go to the special events, if all you do is walk the floor, when you're done, none of your muscles will work. <laughs> you'll probably get the flu and you'll call in sick for the next three days of work because you went to a comic convention and it beat you to death. Pretty Be much. Because it's, it's so spread out. 
there's so much there and it's and it's hard to complain about too much content but there's almost too much content you literally you could go for the entire four, like with preview night and then the four, like the four days and still not actually see everything you wanted to see yeah and and that's an issue you know because you're walking away not feeling satisfied and we want to make sure the attendee is walking away feeling like they got to experience as much as they wanted to um Another issue is the vendors. If you get so big that the vendors are competing and they're not making enough sales, they're not going to want to come back. So we have to very carefully balance the size of our vendor floor and even how many of each kind of vendor are there so that we can make sure that everybody makes money at least enough to want to come back. Right. Because cause that's if you go there, there's a, there, people who haven't been, there's different sections of a convention. Um, there's artist Sally and there's uh, vendor, there's vendor village and there's, you know, the panels and stuff. Ven- the vendor village is essentially just the ma- it's kind of the main floor where you can buy t-shirts and figurines and comics and all kinds of cool stuff that people make. You can get custom lightsabers. You can get like a, a, pretty much anything you can think of in the pantheon of, of, you know, nerd merchandise. <laughs> um, uh, but it's getting packed and it's getting to where like you will see two or three booths that not, they don't even have similar products. They have the same product because they're bought, because they're aggregating from other sources and the products are still cool, but you're like, Oh, I just saw that shirt two two booths ago. Why do I want it from you instead of from this other guy? Yeah. And one of the things we look for in a vendor, cause we, we do actually curate, which is that, you know, if a vendor isn't bringing new content, isn't bringing new products, and they're selling the same thing year after year, we ask them to either change their product line or maybe they need to go to another show Okay. because they're not going to make money if they're selling the same thing. There's a finite amount of people of that 75 that are going to 75,000 that are going to buy that particular item. And it's the same thing for the artists. If you're not putting out new content, you're not going to sell because it's the same people. You know, even if there's, 2,000 new people, how many of them are going to buy your specific thing? Right. So you've, we're really getting to this point where we're getting picky about the vendors. We have a waiting list of 700 people for our vendor hall. Yeah. And it's, I know. I've tried to get on it before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. We did successfully. It's oh, fine. Oh, good, good. Yeah, we got in last year. It was cool. Good. Yeah, and, and you, have to be, you have to create a vendor hall that's going to make the attendees happy mm-hmm. and make the vendors happy. And it's a balancing act. Yeah, you don't like, and that leads into um, a question about uh, growth. It's just, it's about setting sustainable growth. Just because you can get bigger, and this holds true for all businesses of all stripes, just because you can grow doesn't mean that you should. <laughs> At, like, look around. There are so many successful brands and successful companies that have killed themselves by trying to expand too fast and. Part of that part of that failure can be that they don't have the ca- the capital, or they they think their demand is higher than it actually is. But a lot of times, it's what you described, which is it's lack. It, the quality starts to drop after they hit a certain quantity threshold. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was curious uh, where you've seen some areas where you guys have just like really said, okay, no, no, no. Like it's cool that that this thing has gotten bigger, but it needs to stop where it is for right now. Well, one of the really good examples is going on right now, actually. Um, Because Comic-Cons are becoming so popular. Thank you, Marvel and DC for the amazing movies they're putting out, right? Mm. Super helped us. They're real good. They are. (laughs) They make a lot of money. Um, Actors are in abundance, right? 
more and more actors are doing, even current actors are doing cons, which is a newer thing. But they're asking for a lot of money for their autographs and their photo ops. And it's almost, I don't know if it's an ego game or if it's, hey, I had a bigger box office. I should get more for my signature. Or if if they're literally just trying to call the amount that they have to sign, right? $150, you're not going to sign as many times as if you do it at 40. Well, one of the things in Phoenix, and I don't know if it's true of everyone else, but especially for our attendees, is they're very price conscious. Price is a really important subject to them. So somebody will buy a $40 photo op, but they won't buy a $50 photo op. Yeah. That $10 difference, there's that mark right there. So we're actually turning away really big names. They're just charging too much because they'll never make their money, and then we have to pay the difference. Oh, really? Is, that, is, is there a, a deal in place where they, they have a – they're like, this is my minimum threshold, and either I get it from the attendees or I get it from you? That's how you book an actor. You, you sign a guarantee is what they call it. Are you looking for a roadmap to get out of the rat race? Well, we have a solution for you, along with an offer that you can't pass up. Go to www.richdadfree.com to get a free strategy session with Rich Dad Coaching. There are limited slots available, so don't wait. Visit richdadfree.com. That's richdadfree.com. Howdy, Quadzillas. Do you want to improve your place in the cash flow quadrant? Head over to store.richdad.com, and you can pick up books, games. We've got all of Robert Kiyosaki's books, all of the advisor's books, and we've got the brand new updated cash flow game. Yes, we've updated the cash flow game and it's more fun to play than ever. Head over to store.richdead.com. So let's say a guarantee is $3,000. Really reasonable for a Comic-Con. Sure. Um, They should make $3,000 just doing their autographs. Not a problem. But say they just weren't really friendly and the Attendees got really mad at them and just walked off and they didn't, they only made 2000. We make up the difference of that thousand dollars. So we have to be really careful. You know, it's, there's huge names out there. Cons. Chris Evans is a really good example. He's starting to do cons. Oh my gosh. It's Chris Evans. Right. But at the same time, it's $150 for an autograph. And there is no way in Phoenix that that would sell enough for him to, to make it reasonable for him to come. So we have, we're starting to pull back on some of those bigger names um, and make sure that we've got people who are reasonable for our attendees to purchase and enjoy the experience. Right. And, the, and that's not to speak ill of those, those icons because in a lot of their cases, the truth is this sounds like a, a, a rich person problem, but from their perspective, they're like, I make, I make $5,000 if I sat around the house and did nothing today. Why would I go like stand, like stand and have take my picture taken with 3000 people for two grand? Yeah. From their perspective, it is, it is a thing. It's like they're still a human being, and they're still like, "Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of worth this right now, and I don't want to be a jerk about it." But like, I just, I don't, you know, it's the saying. It's like I don't roll out of bed for less than fifteen hundred dollars, which yeah, I, which I, which I get. It's, it's just like you know, like, like part of my my day job is design. If somebody is like, "Hey, I'll give you five hundred dollars to design something," five hundred dollars is a non-zero amount of money. But it's less than I'm going to take for a design because I'm just used to being paid more now. Right. Right. And, and it's, it's not talking bad about the actors. They no. have to make their living. It's, it's 
It's more about creating an experience for your attendees. Yes. And there were some, uh, I, I won't name names, but there were, <laughs> like, I did have a fun time going through the um, the, the, the photo op catalog this year yeah. and just being like, so-and-so's at once what for a, like, there were a lot of names where I was like, I was like, really? I, I feel like you were on that show 10 years ago and... You don't like there. There are a handful of people. I was like, you could bring that number down a little. And one of the things we struggle is that they can hit that number at other shows, mm -hmm. but at our show, it's just a it's a more price conscious attendee. Um, and and part of that's the culture we've you know we we have actively kept our prices lower for our memberships or passes to our event. We've actively encouraged children at our event and families which families tend to, because there's so many of them usually, you know, you're not talking one person, you're talking probably three or four or five, or in one case, nine kids. <laughs> um, and they don't have that kind of money to spend. You know, not every kid's going to get their personalized autograph because yeah. that's a lot of money. And so I think that our d dynamic of our show is so different from other shows that they can get 120 for their autograph in Salt Lake and Denver and New York, but they're not going to get it here. Right. And that's something we have to be aware of and just we have to we have to make sure that we're bringing the right people. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that it's it's not just about price point. You have to be careful who you invite because um I don't there are some actors who go off the rails at a certain <laughs> point and you don't want them at your at your event, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um uh and you know, it's it reflects poorly if you invite someone to take photo ops and they, you know, are, are abusing the attendees or they're being inappropriate or they're getting drunk in the middle of the day. Or walking away in the middle of an autograph signing with a huge line and they just go shopping. Yeah. Is that's, that a thing? That's a thing. That's Good. a thing. That's, yeah. that's great. Um, um, yeah. We, you almost have to be part of the gossip channel. Yeah. A little bit. All the cons kind of talk to each other about their experiences with different actors. Yeah, because they're going to be they in it, when they're in front of a camera, they may be they'll they'll turn on their it's time to smile face. Yes. But then you hear later, you're like, oh my god, this person was an, like they were a nightmare. They were abusive to the to the staff. They they want they made all these like crazy aftermarket demands. And and usually, if they're making aftermarket demands, they're inexperienced. So I'm going to use a really good example. Um, there is this idea that Shatner is a terrible, awful guest. He's just awful to deal with. Yeah, I, I have heard that also. I, right. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone that ha knows who Shatner is has probably heard some horror story. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that Shatner is very, very upfront about what he wants. He puts it in the contract. He's very clear about it. His agent is clear. And if you follow what he gives you, he is not a problem. Right. He just at, He's very like... This is what I want. This is what you agreed to. You didn't do a thing we agreed to. So now. <laughs> so now I'll throw a fit or, you know, refuse to do my part because you didn't do yours. Yeah. And that's understandable. So one of the biggest things is watch your contracts. <laughs> Make sure you know what's in them. Check the writers. Yes. And as, as long as you're following that and you're getting the guests that are going to, you know, are not totally inexperienced, you'll be fine. It's the ones who are newer to the world who forget to put that stuff in the contract that are really the ones that are hard to deal with. Yeah. They just want what they want when they want it. Yeah. yeah. And they're not used to having to tell you ahead of time that you need to have 10 cases of Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi or whatever their need is ahead of time. They just, you have to materialize it on site. Um, so we are very careful about who we bring out. Um, we will bring a difficult person 
if we know it's in that vein of they're going to tell us ahead of time what they need. Sure. We're not going to bring out someone who walks away or gets drunk or is in any way going to make our attendees experience bad. Yeah. That's, there's a difference between having a high-maintenance pro yeah. because that person may be high-maintenance, but like you said, they're just asking for – they're like, this is what I want. You can agree to it or not agree with it. But if you agree to it, it better be there when I get there. Yeah, which is the same thing I'd want. Yeah, and that's true. And people listening, that is true for any seminar or event you're putting on. Read the contracts. If the person, like, if they asked for it, you better have it for them. And just because you sent a contract, don't assume the one they sent back is the exact same. Read everything every time you get it. Yeah, because they add things in there without telling you that they're adding anything. You're like, oh, you signed it. It's too late. (laughs) That's right. I get 10% of the door. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, So uh, uh, we'll get back into uh, uh, personnel and celebrities later because that's endlessly fascinating to me. (laughs) But – uh, I was curious about the more about the logistics of running a show this size, and obviously you guys have to with with something of this scale where streets have to be shut down, where like transit has to be specially like routed. Like you're talking to Uber because traffic and parking for these events is a nightmare. It is, and like and it's like you guys have gotten all the surrounding parking, you know like facilities to get on board and so like you're doing everything you can but like there's still 75,000 people there and and logistics can be a nightmare so I was curious if you'd talk a little bit about uh your the special interactions and challenges that you have dealing with the city and transit and that sort of stuff yeah um you know, when we first came downtown in 2010, because we used to be like in Ahwatukee and Glen Hills. Mm-hmm. That's when the big, uh, pers- the big population jump was. Yes. Right? I went from seven to 14,000 and then tripled again or doubled again. And yeah, um, the city didn't understand what we were, <laughs> which I think is totally acceptable and understandable. Sure. At the, at the time. At the time. Sure. Um, like after- a comic convention. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. They, no, it's they not give cute. Us the South it's a building. monster. <laughs> yeah, we we had stuff out. We had people on lines outside in May. It was awful. Like we learned so much that year, and the city went, "Oh, okay, <laughs> we might need to do something different." And the convention center went went the same way. They really started to go, "Okay, now we see," and and seeing is what really brought them to our side. So now yeah, you can tell people how big it is. Yeah. You have to take them to – like they don't even have to go inside. Just walk – just get them to come off the light rail at Jefferson and just look at the four corners of any given intersection. You're like, oh my god, there are so many people here. Well, I think there was a survey a little while ago that said there was like 25,000 parking spots in downtown Phoenix. Something – It's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough, right? And we fill every single one. In fact, we pre-sell parking spots in almost every garage downtown yes i like when i when i attend i am sure to get like i get to downtown at 7 a.m and no later because that's when parking is five (laughs) dollars at 10 a.m it's suddenly 50 it is it is now i park on wednesday and never leave (laughs) (laughs) the rich dad coaching staff wants to make you a special offer but first they have a rather blunt question what's costing you more money being financially uneducated or stupid If you're uneducated about creating wealth, you can do something about it. In fact, just listening to this podcast demonstrates that being financially ignorant is not your problem. Robert has said that being stupid is expensive. He doesn't mean to imply that you are not intelligent. 
He means it is stupid to know that you have options to improve your financial education, but choose not to do anything about it. We encourage you to take a different path and get a free strategy session with a member of the Rich Dad Coaching Team. Rich Dad Coaching has guided thousands of people to financial freedom by helping them take action rather than just dream. Go to www.richdadfreesession.com right now to learn all the exciting details. There are only a few times where you're faced with a decision that will affect the entire trajectory of your life. This is one of them. Don't let it slip away. The stupid thing to do is also the most expensive, which is to ignore this offer and hope for a miracle. Instead, do what Robert would advise. Put your fears aside and go to richdadfreesession.com and claim your free strategy session while they're still available. There is simply no faster way to turn your dreams and aspirations into actual wealth and financial success. So go to richdadfreesession.com now. Howdy, E's, S's, B's, and I's. Welcome to the Quad Pod, the podcast where successful personalities from the world of business, entrepreneurship, money, sales, and self-improvement are interviewed by a mid-level employee. Hey, guys. Welcome back to our interview with Jillian Squires. Uh, Last week, if you missed it, we talked about managing 75,000 attendees per year at Phoenix Comic Con, leveraging enthusiastic volunteers, maintaining growth versus reducing user experience, and dealing with actors, vendors, and the city of Phoenix. So go back and listen to that show if you missed it. It was really great. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about the absolute need to be accessible to your audience at events like this. That means get off your phone, be a showman, talk to people. Uh, We're going to talk about managing hundreds, hundreds of tons of merchandise coming into this, uh, this event every single day. Uh, we're going to talk about the big mistakes that happened at last year's event and why that's actually a good thing. Uh, software and systems, finding them, adjusting them, and knowing when they need to be replaced. We're going to hear about how Jimmy John's used a horrible situation to generate lifelong customers. Uh, also, we're going to get into accommodating talent requests, you know, travel, limos, and a Diet Coke at the snap of a finger. And uh, we're also going to hear about the value of having a CIA agent on staff at all times. Oh, uh, bonus, we're going to hear about uh, Leonard Nimoy and how he's actually just as awesome as we hoped he was. Hope you enjoy the show. Um, But that took time. That took reaching out. And every time that we reach out to someone in the city, it's kind of the same experience. They're kind of like, oh, okay, that's nice. And then they go through a cycle and then they go, oh, 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 we get it. We get it. And it's an education process. So a lot of, you know, what I do is, you know, I, I go and I go out to these meetings and I talk to the city and I talk to the business owners and I explain the whole thing and I give them our stuff and then I walk away and I don't hear from them. Um, and that patience, that accepting that it's okay to wait a year, for them to really understand. Right. Um, now that could be hard for other people because their event may not be as visually, you know, stunning to a person and a eye opening. Oh my gosh, I need to get money from all these people. <laughs> and that's the big thing is that it, it is, it's, these are not ideas based in greed, but they are ideas based in, Oh, there's money to be made here. That's not the same as greed. Looking at, looking at a population you didn't realize existed and realizing, Oh, if we just gave preferential parking to everybody with with an attendees badge and gave them, you know, $5 off parking in our space, we would fill every single space in our parking lot every single day for five solid days, which amounts to tens of thousands of dollars in just 
parking. That's not including revenue for local vendors, local businesses, restaurants, coffee shops, hotels, all that stuff. And you, when you can show people that normally would have maybe thought that an event, event like this is a nuisance – that there's, you know, money to be made. Like if you can work with them and be helpful and be patient, they come around eventually. They do. And I would say most of the downtown restaurants that are in the immediate vicinity, you know, walking distance after a long day, mm-hmm. um, are now all offering discounts mm-hmm. to people with badges. And it's, you know, it's 10%. It's not a big thing, but it brings more people in their door and they're constantly packed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have to send someone to get my food because yeah. I can't stand waiting in line. At that point, I don't have time for that. So a lot of the the volunteers are actually going further and further out to find somewhere that's not packed. packed. Um, and every year it gets further and further because more and more people offer those discounts. Um, one of the best relationships we have is with the Phoenix PD. Yeah. The police are fantastic. Um, they have actually assigned an officer as a liaison to Phoenix Comic-Con. Oh, that's cool. What a cool gig. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a geek. He goes to San Diego. He understands what our show is. We have 46 um, officers walking around during our event. Some of them are stationed. Most of them are just walking. Some are planes closed. Some are uniform. Um, They have used our event as a threat training event, Mm -hmm. like a like they're training for terrorist attacks and things sure. that they have to do because it's one of the only events where there's enough people that they can do that kind of training with their officers. Right. It's about as big a crowd of mostly well-behaved people that you could get in one place. <laughs> yes. Like 75,000 people who typically are not prone to getting super drunk or getting <laughs> rowdy or like the, the worst that happens is, is very vehement arguments about the last couple of seasons of X-Files. Right. Yeah. And they still both love it. They just, yeah. Well, and several years ago, we had a fire alarm go off. Um, They had fired up a stove that hadn't been used in a while. Lots of smoke, set up the sensors. It's bad timing, right? But we, every single person didn't question. They just filed out of the building. And the convention center and the police were like, this is the best fire alarm that we've ever seen. (laughs) Because that's the kind of person that goes to that show. They obey the rules. They just do what they're told. It's not a big deal. And it's been really fun working with them because they will, they will tailor training to our volunteers. They have, you know, they, they have more than enough police that want to volunteer to do our show. Um, it's just been a great experience. Again, it took a year for them to realize what it is, but it is just great working with them. That's awesome. That's and that's. I mean, they, I'm sure they love it because it's an it's it's event um, event assignment, which if I which I believe they get a little bit of extra pay for anyway. And it's event assignment where they don't have to worry about getting hit in the back of the head with a, a Budweiser bottle or you know people like everyone's pretty well behaved at Comic Con. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, I was curious if uh, the have you had any special challenges that you that still haven't been resolved, like ones that you guys are still working. You're like, oh, if we could just get this piece to fall in place, it would make things like ten percent easier. I would love to make a deal with the uh, the light rail. I'll bet I was waiting for something about transit to come up because, like I said, transit and parking is is always going to be an issue with an event this size. Like, if you could get if you could get the light rail on board, what would you like in a perfect world? What would you love to see from them? 
Okay, so it's San Diego, right? They have a little pass that is specifically for the week of Comic-Con down there. And it's got art on it that's comic-oriented. And it's just – it's. I still have mine because it's a souvenir. And I'd love to see something like that, you know, a, a, a deal because of the price consciousness of our attendees where they can ride the light rail. They get a special little thing because, again, our audience loves things to take home. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very tactile. Yeah. Artifacts, yes. yeah. And so just doing something simple as that is printing a five-day pass that we can do for a little bit less would really solidify all of our transportation options. You know, we do everything we can with the parking to sell early. We do everything we can with Uber, we're trying to get a hold of Lyft, you know, trying to get as many options as possible. But we're still kind of missing that light rail piece. Very cool. Um, so uh, I was, I'd like to start moving back into uh, everybody who runs events or seminars, they have to deal with two, two sides of a coin and those, and that is attendees and talent. Yep. I was curious if you could talk about, uh, first of all, typically who is the bigger headache, attendees or talent? Ooh, you know. And I don't mean because they're even because they're misbehaving, but just like the sheer size or like what like. I think it would depend on which person in my team you talk to. Okay. So we kind of split it up. Then this goes back to kind of that logistical side. Um, there's five people at the top with me, and one runs guest relations. So their sole duty is dealing with talent. Then we have operations that deals with the vendors, which is kind of the third element there. Um, then we have tech, which is its own thing. And why am I? Oh, volunteer relations. So because you guys have an unimaginable number of volunteers, one thousand nine hundred volunteers. Yes, to Those run are our volunteers. Event. Those are like people that are like, yes, I totally want to do this for for a, a special badge, and that's pretty much it. A T-shirt, a pen, again, tchotchkes, yeah. artifacts that they can take home. And, just and the being sheer, part of the experience. Yeah. I mean, it's like a big family, really. All the volunteers hang out all the time. They know each other. All of my friends are volunteers. Mm-hmm. I have no friends that are not. <laughs> Some family that is not. But um, so it can depend. I would say this last year, the guests were more of a headache than the attendees. But that's only because we redid how our walking paths are throughout the entire show and moved our costume groups up to the third floor, which spread us out, which spread out the attendees. So they didn't feel as stuffed together the year before I would have said the attendees were the biggest pain because they were so upset because they were so clumped together and it felt so crowded. So it felt less crowded this year. So they were happier. Okay. Yeah. So it varies. It did seem, it did seem like, especially walking like vendor village seemed a lot less like moving through a herd of cattle this year. And part of that is we did widen the aisles another foot. So they're 12 foot aisles, Mm -hmm. which I recommend for anyone with an exhibitor floor because then people can stop and talk without impeding your flow. Yeah. Um, And then that bringing the people up, just spreading them out more allowed for a a more breezy feel. We got a lot better feedback from the attendees on that. And, And that's been, I mean, that's been a four year, five year project. Every year we try something new to try and make the traffic flow better. This year seemed to work very well. Well, Do you have like somebody that's just that that's their whole gig is just working out the like the logistics and the like the the kind of the science behind human traffic flow? That's what our operation team does. Okay. They also do the floor plans of every floor for like the vendor hall and and where everyone's placed and things like that. Not something that my brain is good at doing, but they are very good at it. Very cool. 
Because there's a science to the floor, too. You can't put 20 enemies to get uh, stores together because mm-hmm. then no one will buy anything. you got to spread them out. Right. And that's, uh, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Um, so you guys have uh, – uh, is it hundreds of vendors? 700 vendors and 300 artists. Okay. Um, so what do you guys typically see as uh, – like? I assume you have to turn people down. Yeah. What are you typically turning people down for as far as the as Vendor Village goes? Non-pop culture product. If you, um, you, if you can't tie it into, like, you're just like, yeah. why, do you, why are you here? <laughs> you know, I, I love Scentsy. I have, like, 20 Scentsies in my house, but they don't exactly fit into the pop culture Can you tell genre. people what that is? Oh, it's a, it's a candle system that has a light bulb to melt the wax instead of actual flame. Okay. Yep. Uh, it smells great. It's safe. Kids say if they knock it over, it doesn't hurt anything. Got a little wax. No big deal. Um, they're at almost every carnival and fair I've ever been to. But they don't fit in our our village. So we have to turn them down. We have to say, you know, it doesn't relate. Um, artists that aren't producing current work, unfortunately, because they're not going to do well. And then they're going to be upset. And it's just not a good fit. So it's a, it's, There is always those... At, at every convention, there's always those couple of booths where you feel really bad for the person yeah. working it. A lot of times it's – I see it a lot with uh, especially – I won't name names, but older wrestlers. <laughs> like if anyone's seen the movie The Wrestler and there's the, there's the scene where like there's just a bunch of wrestlers in like a high school gym and they're signing autographs for nobody. I've seen that at more than one comic convention yeah. with people that you used to watch on TV – in the eighties and you're like, Oh, that's the saddest thing I've ever seen. And, and the hard thing is they come out the first year of the show and they do well the first year, but then they keep coming back. And unfortunately the market's saturated for them. So no one else is buying, but they keep coming because they really <laughs> want to try and they're good people. No, no, no. They're like a, it's, it's rat. It's just, it's always a bummer to see somebody whose booth is just not doing well because they're either not engaging their audience correctly or they're not like they're not still a presence but they just think that this is a place where they can just sell autographs and i really want that non-engaging thing is really a huge thing mm-hmm. um in a vendor floor with a thousand other people you have to engage you can't sit on your phone mm-hmm. and just punch numbers if someone is walking near you you engage even our information desks engage people who are walking by volunteers are engaging people because it's the only way to create a good experience. Never, ever sit on your phone. In fact, our volunteers aren't supposed to have their phones out when they're on, when they're working, when they're on shift, unless it's, you know, they're the social media team. Cause I guess that would be okay. But if you're on your phone, you're not engaging and the people are just going to walk away without spending, without enjoying. So you have to get out there. Yeah. And that's, and that again, true for all events and seminars, yeah. you have to be there from the time you get there to the time you leave as ex- like you need to be there as if you're there to give yourself to everybody. Yeah. Like it's, uh, I, I know that it's a, a grind, especially if you're at an event that lasts more than, more than a day, God forbid three or four days. <laughs> but like from the time you get there to the, you got to put on, you got to flip that, that, you know, showman switch in the back of your head and just be, you got to be smiling. You got to be, Hey, you're like, you got to, you have to like reach out to people and make them want to connect with you. You sitting back with your arms folded because nobody's coming to your booth. That's only going to perpetuate people not wanting to know what you're about. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues with that is there could be a blogger walking by 
Mm-hmm. And that blogger could say something. And we know those bloggers are very important because they influence everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, now at our show, we make sure that we give bloggers free passes, but we put a media pass on them so you can see, because that way I would hope that the, the visitor, the artist Sally would see that and be more apt to talk to them. Yeah, give know. them maybe a little more access. Yeah. Are you looking for a roadmap to get out of the rat race? Well, we have a solution for you, along with an offer that you can't pass up. Go to www.richdadfree.com to get a free strategy session with Rich Dad Coaching. There are limited slots available, so don't wait. Visit richdadfree.com. That's richdadfree.com. Howdy, Quadzillas. Do you want to improve your place in the cash flow quadrant? Head over to store.richdad.com, and you can pick up books, games. We've got all of Robert Kiyosaki's books, all of the advisor's books, and we've got the brand new updated cash flow game. Yes, we've updated the cash flow game, and it's more fun to play than ever. Head over to store.richdad.com. Um, but that's not always the case. So I was, uh, uh, that's, that's one of the challenges of vendor village. I would like to talk about the logistical challenges of vendor village. <laughs> um, I've been down there on the day when you're supposed to get your, your business, your business permit and you go down to the docks and I, I thought that I was going down to, they're like, oh yeah, you go down to the loading dock and I was like, oh, okay. And I expect to go down to like like you see in the back of a grocery store and there's just like the one door that like the truck pulls up to, I go down there and it's, it, it goes so far. I can't see the end of it. And it's just truck after truck backing up. It looked like something out of a, like a, I swear to God, if you don't see it live, it doesn't sound real. It sounded like it, it looked like just something out of a movie. Like I expected zombies to start coming out from behind the cement pillars. It just went on forever. And it was truck after truck after truck just going on. And People, then there's a marshalling yard full of more trucks that are waiting just to come into that line. You guys are lo- like people are loading on a daily basis hundreds of tons of product into that event. Who is managing all of this? <laughs> well, his name is Lee. Okay. <laughs> And he is that operation guy. He, that's how his brain works. Um, we work very closely with the convention center uh, to utilize the marshalling yard and all of their security staff. And this year we tried something that didn't work very well. Um, we did it kind of in size order. So the biggest booths, because you can buy a 10 by 10 or 10 by 20, you know, would start first. And they had time slots. And then everyone else kind of had time stops in alphabetical order. Well, it didn't work very well. People didn't pay attention to their time slot. People were on different schedules, maybe because they were driving from California and they didn't time it right. And so it took a lot longer this year than we'd like. So we need a new system because we're so big and there isn't so far, we haven't gotten the best efficient way to do it. Um, But that's part of growth. Yes. It's mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. And my, so here's my advice on mistakes too. (laughs) own up to them. Be honest about it. You know what? Yeah, you're right. We made a mistake, but we learned something and we think that we can do better next year. Um, That's something we've employed for a long time and it makes, it doesn't just get a good response then, it gets a good response later. So one of the things that I saw this year with the vendors was they were saying, this is crappy, this is horrible, but you know what? We know they're going to make it better because we built that reputation. Right. Um, So we do use a company called StreamPoint 
to actually curate where people sit on the floor. And it manages the money for us. It manages the placement. It manages, here's all the extras they can buy, you know, extra passes and things like that. That has made things a lot easier. Having that software to manage that stuff is so important. Um, you know, we used to just do it in Excel files, <laughs> pen and paper. And when we were small, that's fine. Yeah. Right. When you've only you got get away with a th- maybe a thousand people doing that, <laughs> maybe, but it's at this point, it's so huge that we, we pay for software and it is worth the investment. Yeah. Systems are absolutely like they're not important. They're absolutely necessary. Yeah. There's yeah. no way we could do it without it. If you've broken, if you are running seminars or events and you break 500 attendees, you need to have web systems in place yeah. already. Ticketing systems. Yeah. And uh, you may not pick the right one the first time. No, you may not. Or you may, you know, one thing we've seen is tech changes so fast. You've got a great one for 2010 and it's sure. working awesome. Well, now it's 2015 and that one really hasn't changed any. And now it's time to go with the new guys with the cooler stuff. Yeah. Like I, I have a POS, like I had a POS system. I won't name them, but they're a shape. Um, and uh, they were great. They were great for the first couple of years I was doing stuff and now and but now I'm just like you have no useful inventory tracking and you have no way to like put my customers into a list so I can communicate with them for like sponsorship and uh, like you know like bonuses and coupons later. Sorry. I I like you got to upgrade at a certain point. You have to like the second if you can even see your systems being outstripped by your growth you need to already be replacing it. Yeah. You can't wait until it's already happened. And one of the things with StreamPoint and why we love it so much is that if we need something changed or we find something that isn't working for us and we reach out, they develop something new. They actually change to help adapt for us. That's awesome. And it's great for them because they're getting constant feedback of what their new products should be. Yeah. Now, this this particular product is very streamlined to comic conventions, which right. is why we're partially using it. But it helps the other cons, the smaller cons that are out there too, that are using it. Um, so yes, software, amazing. Yeah. Um, the other thing is just to have a lot of good, reliable people who can keep a smile on their face. Because the two days that vendors come in the hall, Wednesday and most of Thursday, there's no real way to keep everyone happy. It's hot. You're sweaty. You're trying to get things done. You have your booths on that side and the loading docks on the other side, and you're walking back and forth. They're loading, they're loading all their stuff in. They're tired. They're dirty. And in a lot of cases, they have driven hundreds or even thousands of miles with their product. And then they got here and they sat in a line in yeah. their car waiting. Oh, funny story. Jimmy John's <laughs> was delivering to the vehicles. Oh, really? They had a guy that was a, on see, a bike. I, that's, and again... <laughs> Listen, these are examples of making opportunities out of failures. <laughs> That's Jimmy John's going, they could have been like other companies and just been like, like, oh, we don't do that. Like, if you want an order, you got to send us an address. And they're like, no, like, we'll, we'll find, just give us a license plate. We'll find you. <laughs> yep. That's how, you make, down. that's how you capitalize on an opportunity. And everyone, all the vendors were just praising Jimmy John's and how much they loved it. I can guarantee you like that. Yeah. That generated like hundreds of people who are just like, no, just, when I want a sandwich, it's just Jimmy John's. Yep. It's nobody else. Just them. Yep. Cause I was hungry and they fed me. That's it. In a car that I've been sitting <laughs> in for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Which like a sandwich when you're starving and mad, that changes everything. Yeah. And we would go up the lines and like hand out water and stuff, but Jimmy John's is the hero. 
the hero of Comic-Con <laughs> this year. <laughs> um, so uh, I would love to uh, – you don't have to name names, but I would love to hear some stories of, of unique um, talent requests. <sighs> oh, because because people who run people who run seven like like the talking circuit and the seminar circuit, which is what a lot of our people deal with, you have big names and they have big personalities yeah. and they can make big demands. Yeah, and I mean the 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 ones that are most common are going to be they want a suite, mm-hmm. you know they they want their family to come. Um, we hadn't encountered this before this year, but a guest wanted a limousine. And right. we, we have town cars. We hire a town car company that transports from airport to, cause we used to do it in our vehicles. And again, too big, hire a service. <laughs> you just have to. We even had to hire a travel agent for the first time this last year. I didn't know those existed still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She books it all. It's, it is taking a load of work off of us. Um, <laughs> diet Coke at every, like always a cold diet Coke available mm. is kind of what that was difficult because the convention center is a Pepsi business and we're technically not supposed to bring in Coke. I mean, (laughs) attendees can, I do, I'm a Coke drinker. So I have a case of Coke zero in my hotel room across the street (laughs) and my sister brings me cold ones, but we had a guest who's like, I need a cold diet Coke to be at my back and call at every moment. So how, I mean, this guest is so not just have be someone the- tracking that, but like, there's just like your job for the weekend is to be three feet away from this celebrity with a, with a, a little cooler Pretty and much. just present a Coke. So we have what we call guest liaisons. They're volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really cool. We've even got a guy who's like in the CIA that comes out and does it. It's just fun stuff. Um, and these are people who can keep their mouth shuts. You know, they can, they can deal with the. Yeah. Drama. Because you can't put a fanboy with their hero for both of their sake. Yes. We'd have passing out volunteers. Yeah. Um, so they, they're respond they're assigned the bigger media guests. They're assigned to a single, the, the artists, they usually is one person for like five because they're, uh, artists tend to be less demanding than the TV folks. Surprisingly. Yeah. Um, and so that person is just in charge of keeping them happy. Uh, that's all they do all weekend. Um, and it can be anything from moving their photos and lining them up perfectly and having a ruler just to make sure that they're exactly two and a half inches from the bottom. Because two and a half inches spells better than three inches or two inches. That is a true story, by the way. <laughs> um, to, you know, getting the press and media away from them. Um, to carrying around a cooler of Diet Coke. Very cool. For a guest. What about security? Because I'm, I'm guessing, uh, in some cases, I'm sure they have their own people, but I'm, I'm guessing there must be a non-zero amount of security for a place where you've got, um, you know, uh, half of the cast of Game of Thrones and half of the cast of The Walking Dead and, you know, God rest his soul, Leonard Nimoy, and just all these people that, like, you know, they are surrounded by the people who have nothing but questions for them <laughs> and they have no interest in answering all those people's questions so you have to have people to just be like yeah i know how much you love me stay back there <laughs> most of them won't say anything most of them will play along because they want the attendees to see them as nice guys but they will keep someone near to be the bad guy mm-hmm. um, usually it's the agent or the spouse in some occasions um, we like George Takei's husband is. I the wasn't bad guy. going to say anything, but yes. No, no, no. If you've seen, the, if you've seen the documentary, yes, that he's very upfront about. It. He's like, my job is to. 
be the, the person who's like, no, 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 keep it going. Like, yeah. I think he's comfortable with that. And he is. And, and he, uh, he's not a bad dude. He's just making sure that like George, George is happy. The person's happy. And he, if anybody's like that guy was a jerk that they're talking about him and not George. And he plays that role very, very well. When they were out to the show, that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Um, we had to change out guest liaisons for him because the, the, woman we had assigned wasn't quite up to handling that kind of personality but it worked out well in the end because he was very upfront he was very this is this is not okay this is okay um so we have we hire a security company for most of the security but we also have some people on staff that hang out in that area just to make sure it's okay and there's always a police officer in that area too the caveat to that is that our attendees are really excellent about not swamping a guest they usually leave them alone. Um, a really good example of this is I was walking through the Sheridan lobby. I don't remember what year it was, but Norman Reedus was sitting there having coffee at a table, just sitting there and no one was talking to him. No one was bugging him. He's just sitting there and he saw my staff badge and he waved me over and he's like, so what do you do for the con? And he just wanted to talk. And he's like, you tell any staff member, they can come talk to me anytime. So he was sitting there hoping for people to come and talk to him and Everyone left him alone. That's awesome. <laughs> I will say I saw the exact opposite with Walter Koenig. <laughs> yeah, okay. <Yeah. laughs> I, I watched him be the most polite human being on earth as he was trying to have dinner with his wife and a handful of very exuberant attendees were making it very hard for him to have dinner with his wife. Yeah, and... A lot of the guests will, um, we will offer reservations in like a back room, mm -hmm. um, or a hotel room that has a dining aspect, like one of the oh, yes. suites this or was, something. This was away from the con. This was easily two blocks from the con. Oh. At a like, yeah, he just, and you saw his face just do the kind of like, <sighs> and then smile and be like, oh, okay. Like he was very nice. Yeah. But, but I'm they, sure he was exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Um, there's always going to be some fans that go up and talk to him. Yeah. And when they're with us, we try to keep a liaisons with them and uh, a guard almost <laughs> <laughs> around them. And usually if they're walking, they don't get stopped because usually they're headed to a panel or they're headed somewhere. So the, the attendees know where they're going because it's all in that book that we give out. Um, but when they're on their own time, when they don't take up stuff on our private room dinner, sometimes it's hard for them. Do you have any situations where you have had to not invite one uh, a, a particular guest because a different guest is there? <laughs> oh yes, um, I have two examples of this. Okay, kind of. By the way, I don't want to get you in trouble. So if you can't name names, you can just say a person. I will be doing that quite a bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> there was a person uh, who was on a pretty popular show, and it was a really big coup for us to get them, and they basically had a list of the people in the show that could not attend the same year as them. Could was not. it a long list? <laughs> it was most of the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, they, they didn't like the rest of their they cast just, members. Yeah. They just want, didn't want to be around the other cast members. And it could also be, they didn't want the competition. Okay. If you're the only person from that show, you're going to be, okay. no, we had booked They're, someone else from that show, but it was okay. Cause they were on the okay list. <laughs> oh, okay. But it was, uh, it, cause it may be, they don't like them or it may be that they're like, no, I want to be so-and-so is attending, not the cast of yeah. is attending. That's why reunions are really hard because they tend not to want to be the cast of. Now, we we were lucky and got the Babylon 5 one, and that was because Jay Michael, I'm going to mess his last name up, Krasinski, 
um, put that together. He was the writer and he was like, okay, guys, I want to do a reunion and we're doing it at <laughs> Phoenix and you're all coming. Now, a few couldn't because they were actually doing gigs at the time. Sure. Um, but most of them were there. Now, the opposite of that was we had a guest and we had announced him, not a big deal. And we went and we're trying to get someone else from that show and they were on board, totally cool. And then they found out the other person was coming. They're like, nope. And I don't think it was the actor. I think it was the agent. The agent was like, no, we're not going to compete with him. Do we're you like, have to, are you usually dealing with agents more than, than the person themselves? I'm assuming that would be their job. Yeah. 90% of the time we're dealing with agents. Occasionally an actor will want to be involved in what um, the press releases look like, what the images look like. So we have to send it to the agent and then the agent sends it to them and then they send it to the agent with a yes or no. And then they send it back to us because we are not allowed to have direct contact usually, yeah, which that makes sense. Yeah. It's a protection for them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was curious in the time that you've been working there, who's the absolute best guest that you've dealt with where you were, you were blown away by how accommodating and awesome they were. Leonard Nimoy. Leonard, really? That's so hot. I'm so glad to hear that because here's the deal. Leonard Nimoy has always struck me as a guy who is, he could be a jerk if he wanted to, because he's the, he's Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. He's, he's huge. But uh, from everything I've ever heard from everybody, from George, from his cast members with one notable exception, um, like from, you know, George Takei and, and Nichelle and all those people and the fans that interact with him. All I've ever heard is that he's an absolute delight. He's just a sweetheart. He was so kind and good. And, you know, he and that's would, a guy who like, if he said, I want $500 a picture, he would still have a line out. the Yeah. Door. And he was opening doors for the staff that were assigned to him <laughs> to take care of him. It was their job to open doors and he would open doors for them. And I mean, just, just the ultimate kindness, just always kind in how he asked for things. It was never like, I need this. It was always like, if it's okay, if you have a few moments, I'd really like a glass of water or, you know, I'm getting really hungry. Is there any chance that there's something around? I mean, it was just so sweet yeah. and kind and just not wanting to impose on the people that were there to serve him in a sense. Um, the second would be Stanley. Really? Okay. That's great. Yeah. Cause that's another one. Like he's, that's the opposite situation where you're like, he always seems so upbeat that I'm like, I'm, I wonder if he's a jerk <laughs> when you, when you get him like set aside. He just wants to talk about himself. Okay. Which is well. all, if you give him a chance to talk about himself, he is <laughs> happy as a clam. Um, a couple of years back he did commercials for us and he just did that. I'll see you at Phoenix Comic Con. Yeah. Um, he seems he like a guy great. who's just enjoying life. Yeah, he's yeah. just having fun. He's having a ball. And he he always runs over on his panels because he doesn't want to stop talking. He doesn't want to give up the spotlight. But he's just having fun the whole time, just having a good time. And um, he takes time when he signs. A lot of people just sign. Eh, eh, hi. Okay, that's nice. But he took time and he would talk to people. Same with Leonard. They would talk. They would listen to the questions or the comments or, you know, you're not supposed to have pictures at your table because they want you to buy the the professional photo ops, but sometimes when there was a kid, he'd still do a photo with a kid and, you know, come around and talk to the kid, maybe give him a hug. It's just that personality that can't really be faked. Very cool. And that makes you want, and, and that makes you connect and want to, you know, like we have to tie everything back to business. If people have that experience with you, they're more likely to come back when you have another event. Yeah. Well, Stanley, we brought him two years in a row, which is really rare for us. And I'll bet, and I can't imagine he doesn't sell out every event he does. He did. Yeah. And he would, if we brought him back now, now he's not doing as many shows right now. Um, but yeah, if we brought him back today, he'd sell out completely. Not a problem. 
Yeah. I had that experience with, uh, with Will Wheaton. Oh, Will is great. Yeah. Like when I, cause I went up and I, I was like, Oh, can you sign this? And like, I, I, I always have the thing where I think I'm going to be super cool when I walk up and just talk to him <laughs> like a bro and it never happens. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, oh, I just want to thank you for, you know, like, like your books and tabletop. And it made me like, want to like write more and like get into board games. And he's like, oh, cool. What games are you playing? And he like did not break eye contact with me and had a conversation. He was put fielding the questions on for easily five minutes. And there was a line of people behind me waiting to talk to him and he never broke eye contact. Yeah. He's great. And sometimes he will, he will purposely ditch his liaisons. He will. He will escape, in a sense, to just walk around the floor um, and just see what's out there. Oh, Leonard Nimoy did that when he was on the floor and he went over to the Lego area and got pictures taken with the Legos. And, oh, very cool. And Will does it every time he comes and hopefully he'll be coming again soon. Just depends on his work schedule. He's been busy lately. He's been very busy, but... It is one of those things where you're like, you're like, how come you don't do Radio Free Burrito anymore? It's like, oh, because you're working again. Yes. <laughs> Which, look, we want that. Everyone but. wants him now. But we had him when nobody wanted him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he had, he does talk about us a lot. Um, so we hope to have him. Um, Patrick Rothfuss was here two years ago. And I was in line because I'm a big reader. And the person in front of me gave him a comic book that they had r- drawn. And he reached into his bag and said, I'll take it, but you have to take something from me in exchange. And he had been working on these playing cards. And he gave him a deck of the playing cards that had all the art from his book on the back. And I was like, now that's a really cool response that not everyone has to that because everyone gives guest things. And usually it's like, okay, and they hand it off. If it's baked goods, they're not going to eat it, guys. They're just not going to. Yeah, don't, don't bring them food. Don't bring them food. but Maybe booze. They, if they're sealed, they will, they will yeah. drink the booze. <laughs> Um, but that's a good response that you don't usually see. It was just that, that kindness of, okay, I'll trade you. I don't want to just take from you. Yeah. And now that person has a connection with that, with someone that isn't a character anymore. They're they're They, they feel like they have an actual connection to them. And that, again, we have to bring everything back. If you can create connections with your audience, they will stick with you through, through everything. Yeah. They will become your evangelist. They will do the advertising work for you. Just everywhere they go. We, we, we think of our social media persona as your geeky best friend, right? We, we're, we're playful. Sometimes we troll a little bit. Um, but it's to the point where sometimes when people come in and say something, not negative, but criticizing in some sort, maybe it's very um, constructive, anything like that, our other Facebook people will come and defend us yeah. because we are a person almost to them. Yeah, that's And uh, if you can get a community to see you as more than just a brand, then they're more likely to jump to your defense. If people are just pointing out they're like, and they may even, and and the people who are pointing out things that you, that they perceive you as doing wrong, they may even be right. But if they're approaching it in a negative way and just like slagging you off online, which happens constantly, (laughs) you as the entity can't engage. That's the bummer is that if someone slags you online, you can't even directly engage with them in most, most times because then that just becomes you screaming at the guy in the tinfoil hat. You look worse for having argued with them. Yeah. So if you have other people who believe in your brand, they'll do that for you. And it's great. And it feels good because you feel, you know, let's be honest. Every time we get those hits on social media where someone's talking negative, it, it hurts, yeah. right? No matter how big you are and how much you know, there's going to be people out there doing that. It still hurts. So to have those defenders, it almost, it's almost makes you feel justified and, and, in, and hopeful for the social media world. <laughs> yeah. There's a little, I feel like 
certainly there are examples where it's not it's it's getting much much worse but i feel that it has to do with the the venues but i feel like in most like lar- like most venues that just normal people engage in the amount of trolling doesn't happen as much anymore without some without somebody speaking up yeah i think people have found their voice yeah. um I think a lot of it is this this culture in the world that you're supposed to stand up. You don't have to take anything. Um, and so we're seeing people stand up for each other a lot more in all aspects. Um, you know, we do a lot of LGBT and um, supportive of anti-bullying and a lot of those kind of charities. And um, it's very hopeful to me to see people standing up for each other and being friends in a community rather than everyone just kind of hiding in their own little hole. Yeah. Um, so speaking of the community, so... Uh, nerd culture just is at its apex right now. Yeah. It's, it's bigger than it's ever been. Um, are you being on the ground floor at, at the convention where like that it is, it is nerd culture as a business. What are you seeing as like some of the like bigger growing markets for what used to be neat, like absolute, just niche culture and niche items that just normal people off the street, because now there's like, you know, not everybody that attends Comic-Con is a cosplayer or like even what you would consider to be a nerd. They're just people that are like, Oh, I like that show. Oh, the ca- like, Oh, one of the guy- people from Firefly who is not that one guy are going <laughs> to be at, at Comic-Con like, cool. I'd love to go see that. Like you're getting kind of just straight suburban people showing up at Comic-Con. So I was curious where you're seeing growth in, in that culture. There's kind of two. So, um, I've seen a lot of increase in BBC shows, Dr. Who, mm-hmm. um, or from black there, there's just almost this, wow, there's other places that create shows than the U S and I really like this humor and I see it in all the shows. And, um, so we're seeing a lot of increase in that desire to have things from BBC shows. Um, the other one is of course, comics, um, the movies, both Marvel and the shows with DC, um, well, okay. Batman and Superman. Always going to be huge. Yeah. But let's be honest. Deadpool sales are going to go up exponentially over the next year. They have. Because people who have no idea who Deadpool is are going to read those comics before the movie comes out so they know what they're seeing. And they already have. I mean, this last year was the first time I've ever seen a Deadpool costuming group. There was 12 of them. The, did you see the conga line? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, <laughs> there were like about a dozen Deadpools who I don't even know if they planned this, it may have just happened, all got together in a conga line and conga through all of Vendor Village. Yeah, and and we've had Deadpools, but never in that quantity. Because yeah, Deadpool is, Deadpool is, he's not an unknown character, right. but he's not Batman, Superman, Wolverine, Spider-Man, the Hulk. Yeah. He's kind of a B-list, like he really is kind of a B-list character, even in the Marvel Universe. He's just kind of there to be like, I'm like, hey, I'm here to put my thumb in everybody's eye. And- <laughs> And um, eat chimichangas. Yeah, chimichanga. <laughs> yeah. Fourth wall breaking. Boom. Um, yeah. uh, but like when B-list character, like Guardians of the Galaxy, when Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy is is one of the top grossing films of 2015, things have gotten very strange. It is very interesting. Um, even like Ant-Man. I mean, I would never have dreamed that Ant-Man would get his own movie, right? That's not a character Agreed. that anyone cares about. Yeah. And yet it was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. And and now you're seeing people who are looking for those kind of storylines. Um, I had someone ask me who Silver Surfer was. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Like, that's a great storyline. You need to read this. 
Um, so it's just this increase in, it's almost like they're searching for more. Yeah. They, they know the stories of their main guys, but now they're looking for the comic that they really connect to, um, which has opened up so much. Now, they're not tending to buy single edition comic books. They're looking for the graphic novels. They're looking yeah. for the collections because they, they want to read. Yeah, they want to read the story in one sitting. Yeah. Which that's how I buy comics now. By the way, people out there, if you're if you haven't been into comics before, what we're talking about is you can instead of buying the the super thin individual comics, what you can do if you like if the Deadpool movie is coming out later this year, if you want to get into Deadpool, go on Amazon and do a search for Deadpool. They'll sell things called trade paperbacks. No, no, go to your local comic book Sorry, store. Go to your local comic book <laughs> store. They're not going. No one who listens to this podcast is going to go to a comic <laughs> book store. Um, go to your local comic book store. And uh, you can buy what is essentially like like sixteen weeks of that comic all bundled together, so that like you're first of all you're not buying what are collectible comics at a collectible comics price because you're not collecting them, and it just it's a nice neat little package that'll give you basically like a season of a show. Yeah, it's the effect of like buying buying all of Firefly on DVD all at once, even though you missed it on TV. Yeah, and. And they're packaging more. That's They make more money on those anyways. It's better for them. Um, and it's better for us as readers. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time with comic books because I, I get to the end and I'm like, it's just, it's just, I was so fast. Yeah. So I love it. it always ends on a cliffhanger anyway. So, yes. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of the graphic novel and the, sometimes they're called omnibuses. Yes. Those are the re- the really big ones. Like you can get all – like people who are into The Walking Dead, yep. if you've ever wanted to see what the comic's about, you can buy these tomes. It's like – it's all – it's uh, these volumes of The Walking Dead that are so thick you could like murder a small animal with them. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like the size of half of a phone book. Um, but like if you ever wanted to see where the show came from, you can get that stuff. And that's where these – like there's all these revenue streams – for nerd culture now. Yeah. And I was curious, like at the show, like, have you guys found uh, new revenue streams since the show started? Like with like, like higher end badges or no, you look, you look excited. What's up? So what this you- last year we did merchandising for the first time, which is t-shirts, lanyards, uh, keychains, you know, the things, souvenirs essentially. Yeah. And this was my pet project, right? So I'm researching every other convention in the show, in the world. What are they offering? What should we offer? Pricing out. Da, da. So I spent a year getting this ready. And I'm sitting the first day of the show and I'm biting my nails. I'm so scared. And it was the greatest thing because we advertised super important and we had things that people wanted. We had worked with licensing. So it was all legal to do a Guardians of the Galaxy Phoenix Comic Con shirt and a Star Wars Phoenix Comic Con shirt. And then we did a couple just Phoenix Comic Con sporty looking shirts, different things like that. We had women's sizes, which is huge because no other convention had women's sizes when we did this. A couple have them now. On Thursday, when the doors open, everyone goes into the registration to get their badge. And then they all turned and came straight to the store, which is when I knew I was okay. Um, And just bought stuff. And we made back everything that we had invested in that, including POS systems, registers, um, long-term infrastructure things. Oh, so you made back the the infrastructure cost. Yes. Whoa, that's awesome. And the cost of all all the product and made a profit. Okay, that's great then. Because yeah. I was like, I, at first I was like, I was like, okay, well you broke even. That's that's fine. But no. I was like, oh, so like this, <laughs> the stuff you're going to use again? Because that's uh, when when you start out, you got to buy a lot of gear, and yeah. that gear eats up probably your first two three turns at the at the Apple worth of product. 
Yeah. And we made all of it back and made profit. That's awesome. It was amazing. And, and part of it was all that research, right? Mm-hmm. I really dug into what our attendees are looking for. Instead of guessing. And so now <laughs> I made one or two mistakes. Oh, okay. Um, you will. Anyway, we did a Homestuck shirt, which is an anime that's very popular with teenagers. And what we didn't quite take into consideration was that teenagers don't have their own money. <laughs> that's true. They don't. Uh, by the way, Homestuck. Um, I, I have seen those characters at Comic-Con for three years running. And it was only this year that I had, I finally was like, I, I don't, I, I can't do this anymore. And I reached out and grabbed a 14 year old girl. And I was like, what are you dressed as? Cause I keep seeing these kids like with their, they have gray skin and like kind of emo, like kind of emo haircuts and then like little rainbow horns. Yep. And I'm like. I'm clearly not hip anymore because I don't know what the hell you are. And there's a huge following for it. In fact, that's the biggest anime in our programming. We have more things, and that's why I thought I could sell Which, it. by the way, I looked it up online. Still don't get it. I don't. I don't I, get it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand it. Maybe it's an emo thing which came in after I was growing up. But those I'm not saying it's bad. It. I'm saying I tried it. I, I don't get it. It's huge. Yeah. We have a great base for it. They just don't have money. <laughs> Yeah, like again, uh, that's that's an example of knowing your demographic. Yeah. Because just because you have a, like having a huge audience is amazing. If you try to sell that audience, like you know, if you go to a NASCAR event and you sell NASCAR branded Rolexes, they're not going to fly. Yeah. Like you have to know your audience. Yeah, and that was just a that was a misstep, but we still made up what it cost us to do that misstep, and and now we know, and now we're you've got back stock, you can throw. Yeah, it, yeah it's fine. We'll do some fun like. At our winter event, we'll probably do something like a retro Phoenix Comic Con Christmas box or something fun like that. Cool. Um, so, uh, uh, just curious before we before we start wrapping up, uh, what are some of the big initiatives for this year you're excited about? Uh, we're doing a lot more with uh, local bloggers, podcasters, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're actually going to invite them out to our new offices. We just got offices a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Have them just come hang out with us, do some interviews. Give them some food. Usually makes them happy. Um, But just a closer relationship with that community um, that I feel we've really been lacking. Um, And then a more yearly, year-round commitment with our attendees. Um, One of the things is we kind of all go quiet right after Comic-Con because we're all sleeping. Um, And we want to continue that experience. You know, blog and talk to people about what their favorite part was and just keep it alive, keep that spirit alive all year round. And that's part of having that second event in December. It's smaller, not as many people. It's a different show. It's the fan event. Fan fest. Yeah. yeah. Had 11,000 people last year. It's very successful. It's not nothing. It's, yeah. It's 11,000. <laughs> right. plenty of people. We made money. It was great. The vendors were happy, but it's a fan event it's for people who miss the small days. Um, but that year round, that's every six months since creates that community all year round and instead of just three or four months before the show. So that's kind of the goal is to really engage all year round. Very cool. Um, so we always have uh, a handful of questions that we wrap up the show with. Uh, the first is uh, uh, if you could collaborate on a project and it could be for Comic-Con or something else, any person living or dead, who would it be and what would the project be? <sighs> you know, we talked about it, so it probably puts it front in my head, but I would have loved to have been part of Leonard Nimoy's um, work on loving your body no matter what. He did this whole thing with larger women and how everybody's body is gorgeous. And 
I just, it's part of that anti-bullying, that loving yourself that I think so many people struggle with that I would have, that would have been amazing to get to work on. Very cool. Uh, if you could give one piece of advice to young entrepreneurs, what would it be? It's worth paying for art. Um, having your own stuff, not stealing, um, borrowing from Facebook, not just reposting. No, it's stealing. It's stealing. Yeah. But creating your own art, creating your own posts, you know, having someone create your logo, having someone create your art, even if you're reusing it 500 times, it is so worth it. It makes such a difference. And it makes, in a, in a place where we are all inundated with visuals, people can tell the difference when you are being cheap and when you get the good stuff. It is worth having the good stuff. Uh, uh, lastly, uh, who do you think we should have on the show next? Who? well... Hmm. That's a really hard question. (laughs) (sighs) Um, I'm really intrigued by the Tesla cars and some of the um, almost giving away of patents and technology that they're doing. That would be very interesting. Someone from that. I know you couldn't get Eli, but somebody who, you know, knows about what they're doing and why they're really oriented that way. Okay. Very cool. Uh, And there's one question I I would like to add. (laughs) Can I get a God pass for this year? (laughs) I can't get a God pass, ah, okay. <laughs> but I can get you a pass. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll talk later. Okay. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show. Uh, could you, um, uh, plug the website and where people can, can reach you guys? Definitely. So it is www.phoenixcomicon.com. It does have information for both of our shows. Um, and you can always email us at info at phoenixcomicon.com. That's usually the easiest way to get a hold of us. Very cool. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I've had an awesome time. Thank you and for having me. This cool. is great. And uh, we will talk to you Quadzillas later. Have a good one. This has been a presentation of the Rich Dad Radio Network. Please subscribe to us on either iTunes or Android. And for more information, go to www.richdad.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.